Vel opp for dag, de kommer vel over den hete. And welcome back to the second part of our show today about how pre-Christopher Columbus, America was flooded, basically, <laughs> with 
visitors at least, if not immigrants. And uh, we've started this journey by a kind of a beginning, the Kensington Runestone. Uh, and we also have uh, just scratched the surface of other evidence of Norsemen, uh, particular and Templars in in America. And if you go to Scott's books, I know from peeking in them that he covers many, many more finds and anomalies, which, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, they are just ignored. They're not integrated into the common knowledge base and uh, therefore um, are just unconnected dots. Yeah, but exactly. when this picture emerges that Scott in particular and others, of course, decent researchers are painting, integrating these facts, it's just uh, impossible to ignore. Like, exactly. like, for instance, we could mention the Mangan Indians in North Dakota, which uh, are known to be blonde. Uh, blonde Indians. Well, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, obviously pointing to an injection of DNA there. So, stuff like that. But now, in part two, now we're going to move on to... I, I, I was thinking we could take on the runes, but there are other aspects of this tale we could cover too. All right. Uh, and, I mean, we have as much time as possible, so maybe this will be a three-parter, but... Uh, you mentioned all this exotic information. You mentioned several times uh, sources that are less known, uh, documents that you guys have, and pointing to to Templars covering, uh, like the, the Cremona document. And I understand there's other finds too. Absolutely. Apart, of course, from native uh, lore and uh, initiatory and uh, and um, I should say more esoteric information that's been preserved in alleged temple lineages, where I'm assuming aspects of of the lore has been scattered uh, in pockets of survivals, like the like the Larminius Charter, which yeah. uh, I discussed briefly with Timothy Hogan when he was on. Right. So, um, you know, while we're on that note, um, I'm going to share something with you that I think you're going to find pretty interesting that I'm going to be presenting at a uh, conference. Well, it's not really a conference. We're calling it a summit meeting with uh, with with, uh, let's just say, runestone scholars. Right. It's me and another guy and an, um, and a native that's going to be there nice. talking about their interaction with the Templars. Um mm -hmm at least their stories, uh, their Medewin stories. But so what I have here is I have some documents that I have not published yet. I'm working on the book right now. Mm -hmm. And what this purports to be are 20 journals that represent 15 generations passed down father to son, basically through two families, the Sinclairs and the Weems families. Mm. The first writer of the first three journals is Earl Henry Sinclair. And it goes from there. Now, of course, this sounds pretty fantastic, but you have to understand I spent four years on this material and the preponderance of everything we have found so far is it looks good. Mm. But having said that, there are plenty of problems that we have. The biggest problem is the person that we got them from who did the translations 
you know, we don't, we, we're not in a position to check her translations just yet. So mm. what she did is she converted the translations into a modern vernacular. Mm-hmm. So when, a, when you read them, that sounds like somebody who wrote it today. Well, that's because of the way she did the translations. Mm. But in any case, I'd like to just read you a couple of, of entries. Please do. So again, you have to, we're not 100% convinced these are real yet, but I'm, I'm better than 50%, okay? Mm. And everything is going in the right direction at this point. And I've been working with Masonic scholars on the Masonic aspects. but So with that as a background, I'm just going to jump ahead. The very first entry is made November 5th, 1353, when he's given this journal by his father when he turns eight years old. And um, so then they go on and on, and he takes a trip over to the Western lands with his father. They left April 18th, and uh, father has been there many times, but this is the first time I have been allowed to accompany him. So that was the first time Earl Henry went to the the New World. Hmm. And every time they came back, they brought cod. And that was basically the cover story, but the cod was, was, was he, he says in here, it tastes better than the fish that they get over in Scotland. Mm. In any case, this entry here is June 1st, 1368. So he's 23 years old. Mm. Um, two days earlier, he wrote, we have arrived in Norway for the feast of the triple goddess. I give thanks to the great goddess and ask her to bless me in my life that I may fulfill her will. We meet in the morning with King Magnus and his court. Oh. <laughs> oh, my is, God. This is so interesting. This would be Magnus Barfoot Barefoot, probably. Um, we've looked all this up. I can't think of it right now. That's in a different – I'm just – I'm looking at a copy of just the entries. Yeah. But in any case, yes, it's interesting as hell because there's information in here that, that doesn't – is unknown in the historical record. Yeah, but, but this could be corroborated <laughs> – excuse me. Corroborated by the book I'm sending you, right. who tells about wait. because in this period uh, the Celtic Christians, if they had a, a feast like that to the triple goddess, uh, then um, it just uh-huh. proves or it it kind of fits with the research of this chap who says the first Christians in Norway were Celtic, and then the Celtic Church was crushed by the Catholics, and then during the 1300s and 1400s the Catholics took over, oh. but the but the party was very short because 100 years after that, Reformation came and chased them out. Right. So the Catholics have had very short time of influence in Norway. So this is so interesting. Go on. Is there more entries? Well, this, is, this is actually his – this is in Norway, but, um, you know, this goddess veneration survived all the way, all the way down. Yeah. But it was, it's, it's real obvious that it was kept kept under under the radar because they had yeah did did he say where in norway uh we meet this morning oh let's see we leave this day to may 3rd 1368 Mm -hmm. we leave the state to travel to norway to meet with king magnus concerning my duties to the crown of norway i i travel with 10 companions and knights who will protect me and amuse me during the long trip so i can tell you now that when was this 13 68. So that could be... Now, wait a minute. All the Norwegian Magnuses, 
1364 there was a Magnus, then I don't know where, who this would be. <laughs> well, he says King Magnus, and then well, he, I mean this this is a matter of fact, so it's just e easy to find out. Yeah, um, and I think it does check out. I'm pretty sure that it does. But anyway, hmm. so now June 1st. This is two days after the previous entry. This day while we supped, she uses the word supped, I, I assume that means eating, with the king's court, we listen to a seaman who has returned from the western lands and tells us of the abundance of land and game past the ice banks of Greenland, which is Greenland. Mm. It makes me anxious to travel to the western lands again as I did when I was a child. He tells me of the journey and how he was forced to stay for many years before he was allowed to return. He makes me wonder of the 30 men who had left Norway in the spring of 1358. I pray that they are well and that they will return soon. Mm. Well, uh, this has to be King uh, Magnus Eriksson. He lived in 1368, but the funny thing, he had abdicated in... I mean, he died 1374, but he abdicated in 1364. Meaning he was no longer king? Well, they would call him king. I mean, you're still well, called a king, but he's like emeritus, right? Emer uh, gotcha, gotcha. Well, he's referring to King Magnus, so if he was, if Magnus was alive at the time, then... Yeah, you know, must have been him. It must have been him. Mm-hmm. And he hanged in the west. In fact, he died in an island called Bermelo, right outside Bergen. Remember what I told you? They had in Bergen these guilds that maintained ancient traditions and could read and write. And another thing, it's documented now, because when the runestone was found, they believed there wasn't runes used in 13. 62, but that's ludicrous. Well, we know that, yeah, yeah, it's wrong. Because runes have been used up until the 1500s, right? Right. Uh, we found the Bergen Wharf runes in 1960 that uh, proves that. So uh, there was a period after the Black Plague where runes and Latin was used, you know, here and there. Uh, both at the same time. So, yeah. Do you have any other entries for, for this? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just getting started here. So, yep. do, do, uh, do I have more? There's hundreds of entries. <laughs> Go on. But are these, are, these are I'm picking out for a reason. Yeah. Okay, so July 24. Uh, this, is a this is almost two months later. 1368. We have returned to Scotland. Tomorrow there is a Freeman's Court, which I must preside over. There is a meeting of the craft this evening, and I must remember to ask the brethren who have now been gone, uh, ask of the brethren who have now been gone for 10 years. Hmm. So he's talking about the 30 men again. When I, when, I sit, when I read this the first time, I went, wait a minute, 30 men? 30, 3 zero. Three zero. Eight Goss and 22 Northmen. Eight and 22 right. is what? right. So right. I and spring of 1358, I'm like, that's got to be the Kensington party, okay? Yeah, do you know who they could be? Actually, they could be. You probably know about this, but do you know Paul Knutson? Yeah, but that's not who they are. You don't think that th those nope. are those? Nope, 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 nope. That becomes clear here. But but yeah. anyway, I just want to fill the readers in because even if it's not Paul Knutson, 
him alone proves the possibility because he was charged. There was a report in 1348 that they needed to send an expedition looking for the Greenland Vikings. And I told you before uh, today that the fate of the Greenlanders were discussed in Bergen, in tavernas and, and pubs up all through the mid- Middle Ages, actually. This was always an interesting topic. So there would be a public pressure eventually to go look for them because Bergen was the big trading port for everything seafaring back at that time. Icelanders came, Greenlanders came. Yep. So the fact that Paul Knutsson could gather people looking for them just shows that uh, travels to the new country wasn't outlandish back in the day. No, no, God, it's you know what they were going there all the time. I mean, yeah. and in my book on the on the Cremona document, they were ta- the Templars took a trip there in thirteen, or excuse me, in eleven seventy eight, mm. and returned. But anyway, let me keep reading because yep. it gets it gets really good. Yep. July twenty sixth. So he says he's going to talk to the brethren. This is. Two days later, I have spoken with the brethren concerning regarding my concerns for the men who had traveled to the western banks in the spring of 1358. No word has been received from them. So that alone eliminates the Knutson party because they did come back. Yeah. Right? Right. Well, I don't know if they did. Yeah, maybe they did. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah, okay. Um. In any case, no word has been received from them, but Brother Cameron said that none is expected. They were instructed to find suitable land for settlement Hmm. and that more would follow. He acknowledged that they were men of the craft and included monks with herbal knowledge. Because of the political unrest in Scotland, no additional brethren have been sent. It might be several years before another journey can be planned. Now, let's go back to some earlier entries that when I read them the first time didn't mean anything to me. Hmm. So the funny part is four years ago when I first got these, I read these journals and I knew that this had to be, at least in my mind, the Kensington Party. So then I went back and I reread them and listened to this entry from November 22nd 1357. He has just turned 13 years old. Excuse me, 45. No, he's 12 years old. <laughs> I spent the day at the forge with my father learning about the Feast of Wayland, the Norse god of the Smiths. I am clumsy at the forge, but respect those who are very clever. The Smiths are creating nails and rivets for a boat to travel to the West Banks in the spring. Father Dominic says that Father Richardus will accompany them with the seven new acolytes. Hmm. What's seven plus one? <laughs> right. <laughs> with acolytes, how would you interpret that word? Disciples, new, new members. Initiates? Could be also, yeah. Mm. Um. Father Richard. I mean, either neophytes or initiates, but no, nonetheless belonging to a specific tradition. Right. And these guys were would, would have been Cistercian, I mean, if they're traveling with the Templars, right. in, my, in my view. Mm. But what's interesting 
Father Dominic says Father Richards, Richardus, will accompany them with the seven new accolades. I interpret that to be the master with the uh, with yeah. the initials. Yeah. Okay. Could it be if this is indeed the Kensington party, which there are more entries that speak to this group, that make it pretty clear that's who they are? That means that Father Richardus is probably the guy who carved the Kensington runestone or authored the inscription. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a report. I mean, we could, we could, I was planning to discuss the text with you too. No, no, it's not a report. In fact, in my book, one of the things that happened when I became a Freemason mm -hmm. is I realized allegory, symbolism, and code is, is, is a form of communication of its own. Yeah. For example, we were fishing one day. Why would the carver take the time to carve a, a, a silly sentence like that? Well, of course they were fishing every day probably to sustain themselves. That's not what they're talking about. Hmm. You follow me? Yeah. It could be code for what they were really doing. Point was they were away, and when they come back, 10 was... Well, I don't. Well, they said ten men red from blood and death. Do you think Indians Indians kill them? That's a normal no, interpretation. No, no, the Indians did not kill them because they had aligned with the natives. They were blood brothers. They would never have gotten anywhere near Kensington unless the natives let yeah, them. That's true. They sure as hell didn't fight their way to Kensington. So, <laughs> no. it, and, and it doesn't say anything about the indigenous people anywhere no. at all. It doesn't. That's presumption. But, I mean, it c couldn't there be an, a hostile tribe, another tribe that there, came up on them? Th that's certainly possible. But when you read the book and you read the cryptic code, the reference to the number 10 Mm. I don't think it has anything to do with men. Mm. I think it has to do with the Ten Commandments. And you have to read it to understand it. If you've not gone through the uh, Yorkite rituals and specifically the cryptic council, mm. it, w it won't make sense to you. But you got to read it. And no, I, I'm, I'm, I, think, I, I hear you because in, in part two I was thinking of discussing certain aspects of the runes with you, but I don't want to. I don't want to pop that cherry right now. I want to wait. Okay. But uh, but go on. Let's uh, yeah. let's refocus on the um, reports. Okay. So anyway, I'm going to jump ahead, and there's years and years and years of entries, mm. family, political information, uh, Masonic information. He goes through uh, various degrees. That's a whole. Hey, can can the two people he mentioned that you have read uh, in the entries you read already? Can those people be verified historically, like we know who they are? Richardus and Father uh, Father Richardus and Father Dominic. He talks about Father Dominic a lot. We have not been able to find him, mm. but uh, to be honest with you, I'm not even really sure where to look. <laughs> no. Shores off the southeastern point of our voyage. Okay. So there's there are crew lists here. I mean, it would be so helpful if he didn't just say when he went somewhere, but also where. I mean, specifically where. Well, um, he's, 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 the specific details in these documents are incredible. Hmm. Okay, now I'm going to read another entry. So I'm just going to tell you in general what happens is 
you know, he there are political events and wars and all kinds of stuff that are taking place in his family, and he becomes the earl, and he acquires property, builds a castle, he does all the stuff, and this goes on for forty pages of entries. Hang on, wasn't he the he the very uh, one that built Roswell Chapel? No, that was his grandson, Janet. It was his grandson. Okay, mm. that was William the Builder. He writes in these journals too. Oh, wow. And he tells us why he builds Roslyn. <laughs> wow. I mean, this this is an explosive historic document, if authentic. Yeah, you got it. So I, I mean, geez, where, where did it come from, did you say? Well, <laughs> it's a long story, and uh, I don't want to get into it too much just yet. Okay, okay. Uh, we can do a we can talk about this for a long time, but... This is a show by itself, you know. <laughs> this, is, this is a series... Yeah, this is. A, this is a, oh, are you, are you, and you're saying this is material for a new book that is not published yet. Published, yeah. So I'm okay, but then you come back when it is published, and we discuss yeah. this in detail. Oh yeah, we sure can. But I, I just want to read. But you can give us a few more morsels today. Yeah, this one. I'm. I'm just going to give you one more. Okay. There are more that refer to them, but but they're relatively innocuous. This one is really good. Mm. So. So he grows up, you know, and he becomes a man, and he's, his, his family grows. He secures his his title as Earl, and, you know, it, it takes him a while before he's able to go back, right? Mm. But he knows there is a mission of establishing what they call, well, I'll just read it to you. So in 1395, he goes back with eight ships, and... He leaves 120 Templars in the New World. He leaves them there. Mm. The other thing they did was they scouted locations where they were going to leave the treasures. Do you know who his navigator was? No. Antonio Zeno. There's all kinds of entries about Antonio Zeno in here. Okay, should I know him from history? The Zeno narrative? You ever heard of the Zeno narrative? Yeah, I've heard about the Zeno, yeah. Yeah. Is something to do with Venice or am I off? Yeah, he's from Venice. Yeah. He and his he and his it turns out history says that the Zeno brothers were brothers. <laughs> in journals in the journal oh, wait a minute. Isn't this the chap who, who this is something to do with Columbus, I think. Uh yes. Um, the Zeno narrative. It's coming back to. I don't me. want to get too off track right now, but but let's just put it this way: one of the re- revelations in the, in these journals that's different from the what is thought to be the recorded history is the Zenos that went up and were with Zickman. They call him in the narrative, but it's that's that is uh, Earl Henry Sinclair. Everybody speculates that that that's who it had to be, hmm. and it was. That's right, it was him, but. The brothers were not brothers. It turns out, it's very clear in the journals, they were father and son. And uh, but you, Maybe they were brothers in terms of initiations, you know? Right, they were Templars too, mm. but they were uh, father and son by blood. Mm. Okay, so this is August 31st. So then, 1395, they scout out the locations. There is a map, which I have seen, and I have photographs of where they were going to put the treasures. Then they came back in 1398, and they brought those treasures. And while they were there, they met up with some of the men they left behind. Others were sent inland to do certain things. And 
This entry I'm going to read you is August 31st, 1398. Um, let me read the one before this. August 17, 1398, we have arrived at the colony, which was established three years before, 1395, and have found 23 knights remaining. They are happy to see us and report that 16 knights have traveled southwest into the hills and mountains, and one has died. Now, we speculate that that could be the Westford knight carving, mm. but we, that doesn't say who it is. Mm. We plan to stay with them for two weeks to help repair the small stockade that they have created, which shelters them from the weather and encloses a small garden. Sir Denison reports that they have befriended the natives and that they trade venison with them for fish they catch off the small harbor to the east. They have learned to harvest their own vegetables and have gathered grains to make bread with the help of the natives. Several of the men have taken native wives and others plan to in the near future. Mm. August 31st. So this is two and a half weeks later, two weeks later. Mm -hmm. Our two weeks with our brethren have been most enlightening. They have remained strong in their faith and have learned a lot about surviving in the wilderness. Several days after we arrived, the natives visited to trade, and I was surprised to learn that many of them had learned Latin words to communicate. They related that they, had, they have had many encounters with white men from the eastern lands in the mountains to the west. They report there are at least 30 men who wear white tunics with red crosses and pray to the sun god. Hmm. The natives have traded venison and fish to them in exchange for silver and copper and have shared many meals and rituals with them. Mm. Now, hold on one sec. Copper and silver. There's only one place you can get those two things together in abundance, specifically in the upper peninsula of Michigan in Lake mm. Superior. Mm. That's where the Kensington party is, right? Mm. That puts them in the general area. And, and, and I have some of these samples of copper and silver where they occur together, pure silver, pure copper, and they're called half-breeds. So that's, an, that's, that's very important. Mm. The natives have traded venison and fish in exchange for silver and copper and have shared many meals and rituals. This is key. When I read that, I was just jumping for joy. <laughs> Because <laughs> I said they had to. That's mm. how they bonded. That's why they, they, there was no, you know, 10 dead. The Indians didn't attack them. Mm. They were brothers. The eldest of the natives called Kahuli has spent more than a year with them learning their language. The leader of the men is called Muro, Munro maybe, mm. and is now gray-haired and wise. He says most of the other men have married and that they now have children who are young adults with children of their own. It was then that I realized the men he had encountered were from the group of brethren who had stayed behind when I was a child. Hmm. Only they could have children as old as my own. It pleases me to know that they are safe and happy. Kahuli says he sees them at least every three months and has promised to take a message to them if I so request. I must fashion a message before we leave, and Kahuli has promised to fashion a map 
so that we might find them if needed. Kahuli and his men left a few days later, and I hope my message would reach the men of the mountains and the man called Muro. We must now return north to the inland bay where Ashkush says it is proper to stay the winter. And he wintered over. And during the winter, he and his men built a ship, and they sailed it back. Because a bunch of the men on this trip wanted to go back, and a bunch of men wanted to stay. More Templars wanted to stay. Mm. The, the, the treasure he speaks of, uh, that's not defined, is it? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, yes. So I'm assuming it's not just gold and silver and stuff like that. Oh, Christ, no. And, and, and you know what? This, the other thing is, is I get asked about the Oak Island show every day, and I just, I, I want to vomit. It's so stupid. I mean, I've always said, even before the journals, the Templars would never put all their eggs in one basket, would they? Mm. They put them in eight, eight baskets. Eight and baskets. I can tell you, and I can tell you. <laughs> Did you say eight? Eight. Yeah, right, right, right. This time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because they brought more treasures later. Mm. Uh, but the more treasures, uh, couldn't they have been put in the same places, or could would there be additional? Oh, they were not in the same places. They were they were taken inland. Mm. Those were brought over in 1665. Um, mm. And when you read about the secret vault, they mention the secret the the secret vault. I got from a completely different source. I got it from natives in Canada. So we have stories from natives that match. Yep, that, that, the natives that have seen this document because I've shared it with some, mm-hmm. they say everything is correct. You know what would be such a useful scientific investigation if someone would bother. Would, I mean, where would we even find these experts? Because if someone who was experts in language of these Indian tribes would go through it and compare with the Norse. Yep. And because if we have many parties settling down, obviously the traditions they brought with them would die out after a generation or two, but certain words would stick and be used even by the natives. You see what I mean? Yeah, Not yeah. the language, but certain words. It would so, assimilate with the do, do we know of any such words that are similar between Norse and, and um, tribes up there? I, you know, I don't know that. I mean, I got to tell you, once this stuff goes public, hmm. um, it, it's too much. There are a hundred different thesis papers that could come from yeah, these journals. But there's 120 pages of entries. Yeah, but don't keep your hopes up. Even if well, this is completely <laughs> genuine and there's no evidence whatsoever that it's not, and all evidence points to it being genuine, don't expect the establishment, scientific community, or academic, I should say, because this isn't science, to come on board. It's just too much for them. It's well, too it, much of a paradigm change. It's too much It's too much for me, but it's not a paradigm <laughs> shift at all. It's it, it's what happened, for God's sake. Yeah, but for them it is, because they're not into what happened. They're into what they have learned, what they have well, teach. You know what? You know what? Nut up and, and, and accept the challenge and do your job. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm sick of this. And, and, but the only way they can do it is if people like you, researchers like you, keep pushing. And people like me give people like you a platform. Yeah. And people like our listeners become aware. 
gradually the new generations will come into it with another attitude and the old god will be pushed and pushed and pushed and some will probably you know give in but most of them will go to their graves with the old dogma because that, that that's the thesis they're married with uh, anything else means that they have wasted their time that's how they think it's egos but who cares we're into truth yes, here yes. and our listeners are into truth so <laughs> never mind them but but you know but look if they don't want to join the party that's their business yeah. this, this this is absolutely fantastic oh i just found another 13 oh yeah let's hear um okay so here is a really good entry i'm gonna now that i got you you're gonna love this one so this is book two that the of earl henry and it's may 1st 1395 this is when he leaves for the first trip mm-hmm we leave this daybreak from Kirkwall for the Western Banks with the blessing of King Robert. I think that was Robert the Bruce the Third, mm. uh, with the support of the herdmen who will oversee my obligations in Orkneys while I am gone. My brother, in Orkney in the Orkney Islands. Orkneys, yeah. Or I assume that's Orkneys. Mm. While I am gone, my brother David Sinclair, son of Isabella. And my eldest son, Henry, will govern in Roslyn with the assistance of my very capable wife and his brother, John, who oversees Jetland. Our goal is to find a better route to the empires of China further south in the ice-covered lakes and suitable land for settlement beyond the boundaries of Groenland, which we will visit on our journey. We also traveled with 120 remaining Knights Templars, descendants of those at Bannockburn under my grandfather's rule, in search of a free Templar state. Hmm. We search for suitable places to transfer the Templar treasure hidden in Scotland. Hmm. And, and, and they tell us where they hid it. We know where they hid it. Hmm. It was in two parts. It wasn't in one place. Hmm. The weather is exceptional this day, and we have assembled a fleet of eight ships, four galleys, and four barks. As we visit Groenland and Reykjavik, we will gather additional fishing vessels. Among our rituin is Niccolo and Antonio Zeno from Venice, who are expert in navigating these seas. We intend to stop at Reykjavik to speak with the All Thing, to gain their support for the journey for our journey in the name of Queen Margaret as well as stores for our journey. Then we will visit the settlement in Groenland and the monastery there. I will miss my family while gone, but trust in God and the king to protect them in my absence. Hmm. This is explosive stuff. <laughs> it's pretty Jeez. good. Pretty good, isn't it? It's everything that the esoteric traditions have claimed is verified here it's like if someone were to sit down and make a fake this would be it (laughs) well yeah but there's too many details and there's too many little things like one of the things that he says i think it's the 1398 yeah there's many details there which is are very refined well and and i'll give you an example of something Mm. that nobody could have known he said i'm trying to remember where that is um, in any case, he says, Ashkush will give these men had to go somewhere. I can't remember. What, he's sending some of the men off to do something. Mm. And he says, Ashkush gives them bones of passage to assist them in their travels. And I'm like, bones of passage? What the hell is that? 
So I had to, I went through three indigenous sources, the Midday, they're all Midday, right? Mm. It finally got me in touch with an Assiniboine native in uh, Alberta, Canada. And his, his white name is, is uh, Michael Thrasher. Michael Thrasher is a world elder. Do you know what a world elder is? Well, I know, I know it's like a high up in the Indian chain of yeah. tradition. Every, every continent has one guy mm. who represents them in uh, tribal meetings. Well, in, in, I don't know what they call them, power meetings, I guess I would call them, once every eight years. And this eight is, of course, a goddess number, right? Mm. Very important to the Templars, just as, if not more important to indigenous people. Mm. But in any case... Michael is, is indigenous, and he's the world elder right now for North America. Mm. And I know him quite well. He's, he's, he's pretty good. He's kind of a, he's got a great sense of humor, but he can be very uh, severe, harsh, mm. straightforward. Um, in any case, I said to him, I, I said, Michael, I, I've been trying to figure out what this means. Bones of passage. I've been talking to Madei, uh, medicine men, and nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about. What is it? And he laughed and he goes, ah, stones and bones. And I said, what do you mean? He said, bones of passage. He said, when you travel, when you go to other, you know, other tribes, territories, you have a little pouch and in it are stones of different rock types and bones, individual bones from the bodies of different animals. And when you pass into their territory and you meet with them, you have to pull these stones and bones out. You have to make a symbol with the right stones and the right bones in the right order mm. to get permission to pass. Mm. I don't know how many people know that. Right. No, nobody that I know, the only person I've met is him. Mm. But, but uh, you know, all sorts of details match. For example, we know that Columbus got one of the maps to America that he had. He got from the West Ocean Islands, meaning Shetland, which is mentioned there, Orkney, Faroe Islands. Yeah, and remember, he was... And it also makes sense that they go by Reykjavik and then... And, and, and of course, uh, the Alting was in full operation then. Yep. So it, it just makes all the sense in the world if this was a, a true document that it, it, it just, you know, everything fits. I'm just amazed that such a document exists and is in the right hands <laughs> for once. Yeah, well, well, because you have no idea how many such documents are either stored away private collections or, or, or you know in the wrong hands also you know if the Catholics get it or so, someone who has a vested interest don't want this to right, get out right. or it's just destroyed basically uh, which exactly. some academics do because it goes against their paradigm so it's it's such a great find I just hope it will be verified well I hope so too it's but so far so good and as we get so so there's just it just goes on and on and on. I mean, it's mm. just, it, it, it's so extensive. It's so detailed. I mean, if someone's going to make a folk, uh, a hoax, you would need an army of people to put <laughs> them 
together. Yeah. What? Yeah. And, and verify different kinds of information. Yeah. Is there other entries? Uh, have you read the whole thing yet? Oh, yes. Oh, I've read it many times. Are there other entries apart from those you read that could, uh, could speak of our people, you know, the Kensington people? Um, yes. <clears throat> uh, let's see. I got those in red. Okay. <clears throat> May 8th. Well, the next entry after the May 1st entry I just read, mm-hmm. we have spent seven days in Grindland taking on supplies and stores. We will continue on to the Western lands. Now, remember that entry where he heard about the, you know, the Kensington party in detail and the Muro and all that. That was in 1398. Now we're back in 1395. Mm. He knows of the party. He knows they're doing an important mission. Well, now we know what that mission was, right? It was to place the land claim stone that would be, you know, would be the proof of, you know, that they were here. They would be able to say, well, we were here Mm. in 1362. Mm. But this is May 1395. So he doesn't know those details that I read to you a, a moment ago. We have spent seven days in Groenland, taking on supplies and stores. We will continue on to the Western lands with eight ships to relocate the remaining Templars who came in 1358 to relocate. Mm. So they, they're looking for him, right? Mm. He doesn't know they made it all the way to Minnesota by this time. Mm. But they probably had to leave behind messages Precisely because the world was big back then and they didn't have means of communications, putting up different rune stones would make all the sense in the world. Well, that would be one way, but the, the natives, because that's how they, that's how he was able to confirm them mm. and learn about them. The natives knew, which makes sense, right? Mm, mm. <clears throat> Bad weather continues and Niccolo has taken ill due to coldness of the weather. Captain Niccolo returns to Orkney, but Captain Antonio, who is Niccolo's son, and his men will journey with us to the Western lands. Uh, so they have Portuguese Templars with them too? I uh, don't know. It doesn't. Well, Sounds the, very Portuguese to me, all these names. Well, no, these are Italian. Oh, Italian. Yeah, right. Yeah. Latin names. Now, yeah. now, what's interesting is in the Zeno narrative, this story of Niccolo getting sick and returning back to Orkneys is is also in the Zeno narrative. What mm. what Earl Henry doesn't know, because he's he goes to the Western Lands, right? Mm-hmm. Is Niccolo dies? Mm. He died. He went home and he died from this illness. Mm. But he's never mentioned again in the journals. So when he gets back, he's kind of done writing, right? Mm. And then the next time he writes is when he goes for the, you know, the third time in 1398. So that's interesting that that matches, but it's also consistent that he doesn't mention anything because he wouldn't know. Mm. Right? I'm with you. How's he going to, I mean, until he gets back, but he doesn't write about that. Once he, he just, well, in fact, the last entry in 1395 is... August, uh, August, um, no, October 23. We have returned from the Western lands with five ships, having left 65 Templary and two ships in the New World. One will explore the northern passage to the inner seas, 
Great Lakes, and the other has been given the mission of exploring the eastern coast of the western lands and establishing a small colony. Needing to return to my duties, I have requested Antonio Zeno to stay on as admirable, Admiral of the Orkney Fleet. Hmm. September 1397. Plans continue. That's This is the next entry. It's two years later almost. Plans continue for a second trip to the western lands to determine the progress of the men left behind. We'll meet with the brethren to ascertain the men to accompany me. And then there's six pages of names, where they're from, Wow. whether they were seamen or Templar knights. I mean, all you have to do to verify this is the, is to find, you know, that these people are real people. And yeah. some of them are probably obscure. So if you manage to d- verify the existence of some of these more obscure names, you just, you, it's going to be too elaborate to be a hoax. You just you just said exactly what we did. <laughs> nice. That's exactly what we've done already. And I, some of these men I can't find. In the 1398, those men, the ones that I can't find, they're the ones that stayed behind. Some, not all, mm. but but most of the ones that went back, like uh, for example, uh, John For or Adam Forrester, he he exists in the record after the 1398, and it turns out in the journals he went back. Mm. So that makes sense. His son, John Forrester, married Jean Sinclair, who was one of Earl Henry's daughters. Hmm. When I was in, in uh, uh, Scotland on my last trip this year, uh, I went to Corstorphine, and I saw the effigies in Corstorphine Church of John Forrester and Jean Sinclair. Hmm. And I saw the coat of arms of the Sinclair clan on the one quarter of the... Uh, coat of arms of the foresters hmm. it's 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 amazing i mean these names do corroborate john forrester was too young to go in 1398 his father went adam and sure enough he he he's he just one that i can think of so yeah. you're 100 percent right but here's the here's here's what would have been a problem if we had found all the names and they were listed somewhere. Yeah. Because if we could find them, somebody else could find them, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's not the case. Mm. The same is true later, generations later in the 1700s. The last entries are in the 1770s. So uh, how, how far does these uh, diaries go? Well, from, let's see. So let's do the math. From the oldest to the youngest. The last entry is 1770 mm. minus 1353 is his first entry when he turned eight years old. 1353. 417 years. So this could cover a huge part of the unknown yep. time period of the Templars. I mean, the last entry is done after the speculative masonry is established, right? Well, yeah, but, or, but, the, but the speculative masonry was going on the whole time. This, 
Well, yeah, yeah, but the document, you know, they usually count it from the foundation of the United Grand Lodge of England, right? Yeah, but that's BS. Come on. I know, I know. And and I also, I'm on board that the Templars in Scotland were, no, I mean, the Masons in Scotland were Templars. Yeah. I, I mean, the pre, the, I mean, Lodge Zero, e- either one you want to recognize, both are in Scotland, right? In Kilwin, right. <laughs> Well, exactly. But but here's the thing. What, what's interesting that you brought that up, and this is something I'm going to talk about in the book, and this is something that's interest, very interesting to Brother Terry Tilton, former Grand Master of Minnesota, former president of the Philolathe Society, if you know what that is. That's yeah. the academic branch of Freemasonry. The Philolathe Society is a Masonic organization. It's the academic arm of Freemasonry. Does it have anything to do with the alchemist Philolathus? Um, we certainly talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> we certainly well, have articles, many articles that have been written on. Anyway, and I'm going to check them out later. Go on. Philolathes. Mm. In any case, uh, Terry's very interested in this period as well, because what we see is the Templars who escaped and went to Scotland, the ones that went to Scotland, they didn't all go to Scotland, obviously. Some mm. went to Portugal, some went into the Baltic. Yeah. Um, but the ones that went up there, it appears, based on what he says, there's some entries where he says that they assisted at Bannockburn. And because of those those Templars' service to Robert the Bruce and, you know, helping Scotland maintain its independence, they sheltered them yeah. in caves, in the Weems Caves. We know exactly where. It says where. Mm. And, and they were raising families and they were providing medicine and supplies, food, clothing, and they, they, they were obligated to protect these Templars, which is weird because they were Templars too, but there's there's some type of it. There, there's clearly a distinction between these two orders. And Yeah, not just that, but the Templars had, before they were crushed, many different departments. Not everybody was spiritual. Well, You know, everything well, from soldiers to bankers. Well, exactly. But, but here's the other important di- difference is once once 1307 came, they were basically excommunicated, right? Yep. Obviously, they were no longer beholden to the church. Mm. So celibacy wasn't really a thing. <laughs> and it's obvious because they were marrying, they were having children, and Earl Henry attended ceremonies where they were knighting the young men. Yeah. In the caves. Mm. So... His obligation was to protect them, and it wasn't just his clan. There were other clans that were involved, and uh, eventually those men wanted to go to the Western lands and start a new life because, first of all, they were outlawed, right? Mm. And second of all, there were plagues ravaging all through Europe, and if you're persona non grata and you've got all these issues there, and and if you're an, an enlightened person um, – why would you want to stay? Mm. I'll take my chances over there. Absolutely. And, they, and th- I mean, that's why everybody went to America eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. That, that's exactly true. But what's interesting is that the men that served with Earl Henry that had lives and families and were not the Templars that had been outlawed, but yet they were also initiates and knighted, they went back. Mm. They didn't. They didn't want to stay in the Western lines. They didn't. They had, a, they had lives there that they wanted to go back to. But the Templars who escaped, they didn't have that. No. 
And it makes perfect sense. It does. By the way, speaking of Robert De Bruce and Sinclair, have you? What's your view on? Have you looked into the relationship between King James and his Scottish no origin? <clears throat> I have not. Okay. You because know there are there are so many angles and so many tangents yeah. and rabbit holes that you can run down with these journals. What I'm going to do in the book is I'm just going to give a very uh, well, I won't say basic, but I'm going to I'm, I'm more concerned with obviously talking about the Kensington connection and, and then talking about the various aspects that I think support authenticity. And yeah. so this is going to be a little bit of, a, of an investigation, primarily focusing on aspects of the journals that I think support its authenticity. I don't have a lot that refutes it, no. but I would I would present it. I just don't have it. Is it possible to carbon date the paper itself or is that too we have some of the, yes we have not done any of that yet okay so that's possible but, but it I won't be very ac exact will it well here's the here's the thing i don't believe that these journals are the original i think these are copies ah right 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 right, the original, right. okay yeah. mm -hmm. and because you know i mean back in the even the 14th century it would have been on I don't know, papyrus or whatever they had for paper, but mm. those are not going to weather very well. No. The map is lambskin and it's still in pretty good shape. Um, but the, but the journals themselves, I believe have been recopied. Still, still, if it's like a hundred year old copy, that's better than if it was made today. Oh, it'll, it'll be 1800s. Yeah, that's great because it was so limited what information they would have available. Right. With so much info in those journals, a hoax can almost be ruled out if it's too complex and everything checks out. You see what I mean? Right. Even going back to the 1800s, what resources did we have? Exactly. Um, I just, you know, I talk about the Cremona document in this new book, mm -hmm. which is fantastic on its own. Wait till you read that. But that were the pictures of the document that we have were taken in the early 1970s. Mm -hmm. This is before the Internet. And this. Yeah. This is this is really a critical point because although I think we had you know you, you certainly had more sources available in the early 1970s than you did in 1800s yeah. but still this is before the internet once the internet comes people have access to just about everything yeah. right yeah. and yeah. even that trickled out over time but you know the world changed forever and research changed forever when when the internet came out but that document you're going to read about still predates that so, but another thing you could do to verify, have you tried to compare it with details in the Lamanius Charter? Uh, because I believe the Lamanius Charter also covers this time period. Well, yeah, we haven't looked at that yet, but that's a great idea. And, and, right? and I am aware because the Lamanius goes from 1324 to 1804, right? Right, right. So, this has to be some overlaps you could try to find. There might be. I mean, I like I said, if people want to take this thing serious, seriously, there's all kinds of work that can be done that would yeah, yeah. To, to corroborate it. But I will tell you that these these are, uh, and, I mean, and the thing but, is but that, hang on, hang on. It's important for your spiritual connections, because if if you find uh, stuff in those two documents confirming each other, it also helps the Laminius Charter because that's dismissed too, you know. Oh, of course, but, of course. But you guys rely, rely heavily upon it for your historical chain of transmission. So it would be great for that purpose too, exactly. to see if you can find some internal um, 
corroboration between these two documents. Well, that's that's exactly the kind of thing that we need to do. Mm. There's a lot of work to do, but I, I'll tell you, they're just they're so they're so incredible. It's just it's just you, amazing. You've got the next year set up for you. <laughs> I, I know what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Right, right, right. And I'm I'm happy to do it. But yeah. well, we were. I mean, I didn't plan to read those entries, but that was good stuff, wasn't it? Of course. Um, I probably told you more about the journals than I should at this point, but uh, that's okay. They're going to come out eventually, and um, I don't know if it'll be ready. In, I don't think it'll be ready in six months. I mean, no. my latest book just came out. You know, it's been out for three right. months. So, right, right. Um, but in any case, it, I, I'm doing this in an order on purpose. Where did you get this stuff from? How did this <laughs> come to your attention at all? Well, actually, I was approached by somebody who acquired these. Um, uh, and, and that in itself is, is, uh, a whole nother, uh, round of investigation, but they, where they came from, I know where they came from because I've been there mm. and imagine, imagine you're walking out in the woods and you come across an old barn and you go into the barn and you dig around and you find something that's tucked in a corner that's been there for who knows how long. Mm-hmm. that even the people that own own the property don't know is there mm. because if they knew what this was <laughs> we'd know about it right 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 and so the person that um um they knew that the people that had this didn't know what they had mm. so great that they recognized it at least oh yes and um you know, there that that's sort of another discussion, but I just don't care at this point because I'm more interested in the history, mm. and um, you know, all that, all that other stuff is going to take care of itself. But, but, but why did they come to you? Is it because of the America on Earth show that people know that you're a guy to go to with this kind of thing? Oh, I think I I don't think there's any question about that. Okay. In fact, the person who contacted me contacted me in 2014, wow. but I. I wasn't on Facebook at the time. And when I did uh, sign up on Facebook, then all of a sudden this message showed up that was two years old. (laughs) Mm. And I'm like, oh, my God, because they got back to me again. They came back to me two years later. So Hmm. I had them for four years now or almost four years. So I'm I'm happy with where I'm at. And in fact, just just two days ago, Don found some more pages associated with the Cremona document that were left to him by one of his colleagues who passed away. That's a whole nother story. But anyway, I just got this. I mean, I literally just two days ago. Yeah, I was the reason I made you wait before we had our discussion was because I had to translate the French into English. And I, I wanted to get it done because I was traveling with my son. I just got home. And today is the day that I could actually spend some time on it. But I got it done. I got it done. Wow. So you had to make the translations yourself. I, well, my wife did them and then I did them and we compared our notes. So, right, right. Um, and it was, it was, it, it, it went pretty well. Uh, this is, it's old French, but you know, that's not that much different. Yeah. And we just played around with the words. We got a word that we struggled with. Then we went backwards. We tried an English word to see if we could get it. Hmm. And uh, we got several options, and I think we. But I, isn't there a Masonic brother somewhere who's an expert in language who can we'll get do the final? We'll we'll go through all of that stuff and do that. We'll have you know yeah, people yeah. that know what they're doing. Yeah. Look at them. But as much as possible, I'd use Masons 
if possible, because there are Masonic academics and right. in areas, you know, if you use a normal academic and they get and they realize what they're working on. I, I, I hear what you're saying. You can't trust them. I, well, absolutely. I mean, there are some academics that I do trust who are not Masons, but mm. but I don't trust the mainstream ac- uh, mainstream academics anyway because mm. um, my experience has been that that they're not as smart as they want you to think that they are. Yeah, for and a lot of the, a lot of this work, I mean, they have experience, and I don't want to denigrate and say that they don't know anything. But um, I'm going to take it as far as I can on my own before I reach out to them. Yeah. But if I feel I need to, I will, and I'll gauge who they are and what they're about, and 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 we'll see how it goes. Mm. But if if there's if any nonsense starts, we're done. That's it. Yeah. Hey, I noticed uh, your wife has written a book too. She has. America, Nation of the Goddess. She co-authored it with a British author, a guy who I greatly respect. Um, his name is Alan Butler. And if you look up his books, you're going to see some a pretty impressive lineup. Uh, oh, Alan Butler. Isn't he into Templar stuff? Absolutely. I think he's been featured on Oak Island show yes. too. Yep, yep, yep. Alan yeah, Butler. he's he's. Uh, I remember when he was interviewed. I was thinking, man, I got to interview that chap. Oh yeah, Alan's wonderful, and and we can get you connected with Alan. You know, I could probably also get Janet on if she wants to. Oh sure, for, she would. to cover her book with him, and then I could get him on to cover another book that's just his. If you see what I mean. Yep, and and actually, the book that really got me going in the right direction. To un- and really helped me understand the hooked X was was his was Alan's book, The Goddess, The Grail, and The Lodge. Right, and uh, it's a fantastic book. And if you haven't read it, you must read it. Another one he wrote was called uh, Solomon's Power Brokers. Another yeah, I know one- him. You know what? I I wanted him on for years for a completely different book called Who Built the Moon. Who Built the Moon, absolutely, yep. And that's with Christopher Knight, who is obviously very famous. Oh, yeah, yeah. Alan knows him better than I do, and I know Alan extremely well. Alan is, we visited them, I visited him in in England many times. He's been over here, obviously wrote a book with my wife. Uh, Alan has been a guest on my show a couple of times. It it was the Hiram Key that was... Hiram Key, yeah. Yeah, that's the first book I read of him. Yeah, and Alan Ghost, you know, um, he's written ghost written some things for Chris Knight and Robert Lomas and oh. and those guys. So Alan is the most humble guy. He's absolutely brilliant. He's fun as hell. He's one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever met in my life. And he's committed a million books. Yeah, he's he's. Um, I, I just can't say enough good things about him. And, and he and Janet are working on another book right now. It's basically okay. So, uh, you know, we're not in a rush here. Uh, I can do Janet. I can do Alan. And yeah, we'll just take it from the uh, step by step. Yeah. Um, well, you could do Bill Mann if you want. Bill, I'm sure, would be happy to come on your show. Who's that uh, again? Bill Mann. Bill Mann, never heard of him. The Grand Master of the Knights Templar in Canada. Right. William Mann, you, if you look him up, if you, if you Google William F. Mann, double, two N's, M-A-N-N. Mm-hmm. There, Templar Sanctuaries. He's written his, uh, in, in his latest book, he's written three really good ones. 
about Templar. Oh, he's written one with you. Yeah. Templar Sanctuaries in North America, Sacred Bloodlines. No, no, I wrote the foreword. Oh, okay. Because you credited here. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, uh, and that's the one where he reveals the location of the secret vault. Oh, he does? Yeah. In the book? Well, yeah, it gets you within. Well, here's the thing. When, when Lewis and Clark did their expedition, Meriwether Lewis was a Freemason at the time. Clark was not. He was he was initiated later after the ex, you know Corps of Exploration. Mm-hmm. But they separated on the way back for six weeks, and during that time, Lewis checked on the vault, and it was safe. And, and then he oh, re- so they they even know where it is. Oh yeah, we know where it is. Jeez. Yeah, and it's being guarded by the Blackfoot to this day. So you know what's in there? Yeah. Documents, I'm presuming. Well, there's more than that. <laughs> well, if it was gold, uh, human nature, people would have robbed it. Gold is, I don't care about gold. I don't care. No, you don't. But if there was... But there was, there's gold too, gold, silver, all that stuff. Those parts of the treasure would be looted a long time ago, even by the Guardians. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. The natives, they don't value treasure like we do. Oh, that's right. The native gods. They're the- even today? Come on. Even today? Yeah. Wow. However, our founding fathers took some of the stuff, brought it to Washington. Yeah, for the war or? Well, for the, that, the, 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 the treasures that were recovered that Earl Henry left, um, yeah. in any case, the, uh, the whole point of the secret vault, I will share one thing with you. And um, I will tell you that um, if, you've, if you've been raised in a, as, in a blue lodge, you know that our lodges are dedicated to the Holy Saint, Saints John, right? Yeah. And prior to 1600, it was Saint John. What's the difference? Well, the difference is they, they expanded it to John the Evangelist and John the Baptist, but originally it was just John the Baptist. Yeah, the Baptist. And I, and I always wonder... The Martinist opens the book on the temple on the Gospel of John. Ah, well, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, the question is... Why John? Why not Jesus? Right. Well, for one, John initiated Jesus, <laughs> but but he was the initiator, <laughs> not the initiated, which is what Jesus was. But in any right. case, what I'm getting at is why is there an emphasis on John the Baptist and not Jesus, and what 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 is that all about in our lodges? Well, let me just tell you mm. that in my new book, and I'm 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 happy to talk about this because I've published it now. In the Cremona document, when I told you that the knights went under the south wall Mm -hmm. and found, amongst other things, documents that told them about other documents in North America, which is what what prompted the late 12th century trips to North America and then trips, many, many trips after that, that then the next set of documents pick up on in the middle of the 14th century. and then and beyond. But in any case, one of the things that they found in this tomb, along with the documents mm-hmm. and gold and technology, were remains right. of an individual whose head had been severed cleanly from the body with a large heavy axe. Wow. Inscribed on the side on the on the side of the box. That contained these remains. John the Baphomet was John was Jan, <laughs> spelled with a with a Y. Wow! They took they took the bones, right? And 
hey, hey, hang on. I've seen his hand because that's in display in Istanbul at the museum there. Well, in top copy. All I can tell. You did he did he miss a hand? I I I can't tell you that. I don't have that much detail. But I, what I can tell you is that the Bahumet are those remains. That's a code name for his remains. Uh, right. And those those remains are talked about in our journals, and they ended up in the secret vault. Hmm. And then they ended up in Washington. They're now in Washington. Uh, at a, obviously at a secret location there. Right? At a secret location. I think I know where that location is. That location is revealed in my wife and Alan's book. Hmm. And it has to do with sacred geometry. And I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it for you. No, but she could go into this when we talk with her. She could. She could. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, there's, there's other things that we can talk about. Um, you know that uh, Leonardo was a grandmaster of his time, and he preserved a lot of secrets in his art, and we revealed some of those secrets in the new book. Mm. Anyway. But uh, are you keeping an eye on the Oak Island thing? Um, I Yes and no. Um, I will tell you that, because of the Templar documents, I, I've come to believe that it's, it's Oak Island was probably a decoy site, and if so, it's worked to perfection. Well, hang on, because you, when you say the Templars, I mean, it was a gigantic... You, you're talking about the Scottish Templars? Scottish Templars. Well, actually, it's more complicated than that. According to the journals, some of the Templars that escaped, and, and we don't even know where they came from, if they came from France or or where they came from. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect it was most likely France. Mm-hmm. But they, um, they, they did serve uh, uh, Robert the Bruce, and yep. because of that, they were given sanctuary. Yep. And they were protected for a number of decades. Um, they had families, they had children, uh, they knighted the young men, um, but they were not Templars in the, in the Christian sense that we think of because let's face it after 1307 they were they were excommunicated right yeah they weren't under the same rule as they had been prior to that time but in in my view the truly uh, initiated templars were not roman christian anyway <laughs> no no not after so, not after i mean even even before they were founded they may have been even before yeah, they may have uh, no, because I don't think they, you know, the, the cover story of what, how they came about. I don't buy that either. I, I don't either. They don't go straight to Jerusalem and start excavating without having a pre-notion, right? No, 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 no. no I, and, and, and my belief is is that they didn't discover anything. They were recovering things that they had knowledge of yeah. that, that that was. Probably their their ancestors had left this information for them. Exactly. But where I wanted to go with my question, uh, if you knew about Oak Island, is because a friend of mine, Pat Robinson, he's done incredible research. Yeah. Uh, you can see his uh, documentaries and movies, uh, if not uh, read his books. And um, it's... Uh, he has discovered, I mean, it's so as waterproof as it's possible to get stuff like this. Yeah. It seems for all intents and purposes that Thomas Bushel, who was the right hand of Francis Bacon, yep. uh, he was an engineer and he followed Bacon's instructions, went to Oak Island, uh, brought some stuff from King James wow. that they wanted to hide away. King James has got, got it from... 
uh, one of the Scottish, I forgot the names and details about this, but there were Scottish Templars connected to uh, those circles. And so they oh, hid. There's no doubt about that, in fact. Bacon. And that point is, 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 is well established in the journals that we oh, have. Man. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so he has proven that there was a plan. Bacon may be buried there himself, certainly the Shakespearean uh, documents. Uh, okay. Um, when you see his work, especially the because this is visual stuff, a lot of geometry and codes and stuff, but when you see it, yeah. there's no doubt. So the Rosicrucians were a project that these chaps yep. created. Yeah, basically. So that's kind of my uh, take. And I've always had a feeling that, okay, they went there because the Templar fleet originally went there. When you say they were the Templar fleet, you mean after uh, 1307 from Rochelle? Yeah, that or or even before. I'll tell you something kind of funny. Um, So, you know, um, and and you haven't read this yet, but you're going to read about something in my uh, Hooked X book. Yeah. Um, called the Illumination, and you know, there's a the Newport Tower. You familiar with the Newport Tower? Uh, no, unfortunately, no. Oh, it's we you, you Google this. It's called the Newport Tower. N e w p o r t Newport Tower. It'll come right up. Yeah, Rhode Island. You see? You see it? Oh, it's a Rome church. It's cool. a Templar church. Right. Okay, and this is very important because it's discussed in our journals. Ah. Um. But in any case, one of the things that I discovered in 2007 with, um, uh, from the photographs of a person that took these photos, he didn't know what he was looking at. But mm. in any case, on the winter solstice, December 21st, at exactly 9 o'clock in the morning, there is uh, a light box created by the south window that illuminates an Orphic egg-shaped keystone, the only true keystone. Oh, this was in your movie, yeah. Holy Grail in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Right. Yes, that's... Yes, correct. That was the discovery that we made in the tower. Amazing stuff, man. And it, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. What's even more interesting is that on the outside of that archway, back-to-back with the egg, is a Mark Master Mason's notched keystone. Hmm. And honest to God, when I was out there in 2007, you know, basically, I wanted to witness these things that theoretically and on on these computer models we figured out. But I was standing on the outside and I'm looking at that notch keystone. And I realized it was back to back with the other one. And I looked at it and I said, what are you pointing to? And I turned to the left and I looked to the west and it hit me just like that. So I went, I went home and I did my calculations, and, and guess what? Mm. If you draw a line from the exact center of that tower through those two keystones, the only two, two keystones back-to-back, not centered in the archway, two and a half degrees off true center, mm-hmm. and you extend that line into space, do you know where it goes? I can only imagine. Jerusalem? <laughs> no. Okay. Oak Island. No, to the west. It goes to Kensington, Minnesota. Ah, nice. And if you extend that line further west beyond Kensington, mm-hmm. it goes to the secret vault. Mm. And actually, one of the other things that I figured out in my book, once I became an initiate, 
and I started to look at things in a different way, I came to realize that the runestone inscription is mostly allegory, symbolism, and code, mm. and that the numbers on the runestone are meant to be read in a different way. Yeah, because they did insert weird stuff there, like Ave Maria. Yeah. That's an allusion to the sacred feminine, obviously. Of course. And, uh, uh, and some the symbols. U, the V and the U, as you know, in Latin are interchangeable. Yeah. So it may not even be AVM. It could be AUM, which gets into a whole... Aum, Aum, right, right, right. Aum, exactly, right, right. exactly. So anyway, but the way I am interpreting the, um, the runestone now, this one part of it is 14 days journey west and one day's journey north from the stone, 14 days journey from this island, Mm. which is the same spot, right? Mm. If you go 14 degrees west and one degree north or one degree north and 14 degrees west, doesn't matter which comes first, you end up at the same place, right? Mm -hmm. Guess where that puts you? Um, you tell me. Secret vault. Right. right. But it doesn't get you to the entrance to the secret vault. It gets you to the people who can take you to the secret vault if you give them the proper, using Albert Pike's words, signs, symbols, and tokens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if they're anything like their peers when they founded the Norwegian sacred sites, they based it upon geometry. Oh, yeah. Well, it's everything is sacred geometry in this. Yeah, but they, they believed there was like, this spot is particularly sacred because this and that, grids, ley lines, stuff like that. So I would imagine they would try to do something similar in America, you know? Yep. Like, like we all know that uh, Washington is built like that. Just, I mean, just a city. But well, yeah, it's, it's all laid out. And, and Janet and Alan go into not the same, old, you know, the old stuff that a lot of people have already talked about. Yeah, Manly Hall and, and Robert Hieronymus. They, yeah, and David Overson and Yeah. Yeah, they 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 touch on those things, but they bring up a whole bunch of new things. One okay. of the things that they discovered, basically the Washington Monument mm -hmm. is a giant plinth. It's a sundial. Right. They right. have discovered that its shadow points to certain things. That makes so much sense. On an important on important days and times of the year, and I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'll let you read it. You can talk to them. Yeah, but it's amazing. Mm. <laughs> it's brilliant work. It's absolutely no. It, it makes so much sense when you said yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and like it resonated. And and I'm I'm shocked that somebody else hasn't pointed this out before. But yeah, it, it, it seems so obvious now that you say it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's like, you know, it's like Jesus was staring you right in the face. You yeah. just didn't see it, right? Yeah. It's just amazing. But yeah, uh, yeah no, they, they've got some fantastic stuff. In fact, I, I think you know that the various traditions are a hell of a lot smarter than um, than people think. And the other thing is I've always laughed at the Oak Island premise that the Templar treasure was buried there. The Templars... And the traditions that we're talking about are way too smart. They would never put all their eggs in one basket. Yeah. Indeed, this is exactly what we see in the journals 
they put them in in eight different locations mm-hmm. and you know eight being a sacred number that that has to do connected with venus and the templars and and the goddess veneration i mean all this stuff is intertwined and it's used um um i mean the the, the numbers are are really important and yeah. this is what they they use these sacred numbers not only as a way of communicating with other initiates, but their way of blessing and protecting this work that they were doing that was so important. Mm. In fact, the word they use in the journals, this this whole mission, if you will, was called the covenant. Mm. Mm. And this is an agreement with God. And it, yeah, it, it, and, and, and Pater Amundsen's research shows that they wanted to found a new Solomon temple. Well, what they called it in the journals is a, a free Templar state. Mm. Um, and it's it's the same thing. I mean, it's uh, you can call it whatever you want, the New Atlantis, yeah. the New Jerusalem, you know, the Free Templar State. I mean, it's it, it to me, it's it's so patently obvious. In any case, Bill Mann, William Mann, mm-hmm. Grand Master of the Knights Templar Commandery up in Canada, and W. J. B. McLeod Moore, who is the Grand Master of this order back in the 1800s during war and after time he was a contemporary of pike mm-hmm. albert pike was a lawyer and he represented the western first nations tribes of the indigenous people mm. in north america here to basically with the with the intent of ensuring that the government would honor their treaties and agreements with with the natives right mm-hmm. well we know how that worked out mm. now of course he was a confederate general and when they when the south lost he became the target of a of a lynch mob from the north and he fled to canada oh, wow. and he lived with wjb mcleod moore his mm-hmm. knights templar commandery um contemporary in canada right. while he was in canada this is in eight, uh, 1865 just after the war ended mm-hmm. he he wrote a letter to president andrew johnson asking for a pardon mm. and he got it so he eventually came back well when he came back to the united states that's when he started writing morals and dogma oh, okay and what happened was he and and mcleod moore basically corresponded for the rest of their lives now basically Pike was a was almost like a prisoner in his own country, right? Mm. There was you know a lot of hard feelings after the Civil War, and he felt a lot of that angst, and so he immersed himself in writing morals and dogma. A lot of the ritual that he got that he used came from other. A lot of the 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 rituals he got was from Moore, who had the ability to travel to Scandinavia, to Europe, to who knows where? Mm-hmm. And and you know, being a, a you know a grandmaster, he was exposed to a lot of interesting rituals and historical uh, Masonic material, and he shared that with with Pike. So a lot of what we have now today in Scottish Rite, mm-hmm. and I find it fascinating historically of where he got information that he put into our rituals, and that that in itself is really cool. Yeah. But anyway, I, what, I, what I want you to just, I, I need to give you just a quick background on my book and Bill's book. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Bill is also half native. He's Ojibwa. Oh, okay. His mother was a full blood. But he wrote a book a couple of years ago that was based largely on, and he's also Medewa. Remember I told you how the natives have their yeah. own secret society? Yeah. And I have some other indigenous friends that are also Medei. And I have participated in a Midday sweat. I am not Midday. I, I don't even know if I can join because I'm, I'm, I don't have any indigenous blood. Mm. But I have been in their, their sweat. And at one point, um, I was able to ask questions. And I asked about the Templars and did they align with the natives. <laughs> yeah. And the Midday uh, priest said to me, oh, you mean our blood brothers? <laughs> <laughs> And then um, I've learned a lot since. So, so definitely the um, Templars did align with the natives. They intermarried. They assimilated. They shared rituals, degrees. It was as deep a connection as you can imagine. Hmm. And, and there would have to be, wouldn't there, for them to be able to operate in secret on this continent for the, for the centuries that they did. Yeah. Um, and that's what I write about in my last two books. A lot. So, of so you're talking post uh, 1300s. You know, after they're officially banished. I am. I am talking in uh, 12th century all the way through to contact. Hmm. All the way through. Hmm. Um, and and the the Templars that were persecuted after 1307, you know, and escaped. Some went to Portugal, some went to Scotland, some went into the Baltic areas. But there were a certain group that did go to Scotland. They assisted Robert the Bruce. They were given sanctuary by the Scottish earls and protected and eventually brought over here. And that's that's that the that's the Oh. It would be the obvious target. Pardon? No, I was just saying it would be the obvious target. If they already had contact in America and uh, Europe wasn't aware, obviously they went there. Yeah. And in my new book, the, the first set of documents, which is the Cremona document, starts in the early 12th century. And, and with, with the Templars going, um, they didn't go under the Temple Mount. They went under the South Wall and mm. they found... Um, uh, a first century tomb that had ossuaries and inside the ossuaries was the, the legendary Templar treasure. Um, part of what was found were documents that talked about other documents that had been taken to what they called at that time, the land of Antiora. Well, Antiora was North America mm. and they hid scrolls over here. Um, so when the Templars gathered that material and other material in different parts of the Middle East. And because in my view, and I think a lot of people that are in the know would agree that it was, they certainly didn't fight for Christendom, for the Roman church. They, they used that as a cover so they could establish an outpost there for a certain number of century or of uh, decades to round up material that they were looking for that was part of their past. And then once they had, collected what they felt they needed, they let Jerusalem go. They weren't defeated. They mm. gave it up. Mm. And then they turned their attention to the West. Is but, this in the traditional lore? Yes. Mm. Yes. So anyway, let me just quickly finish the story um, because you're going you're gonna to find this fascinating as hell. Anyway, mm. so 
The other element of this, so the correspondence that WJB McLeod Moore sent to Pike, we have that in our Scottish Rite in Washington, D.C., but we don't have the, 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 um, um, the letters that Pike wrote. Bill has those. And right. now, one of the things that he was told by his Medewin brothers in 2012, and the reason 2012 was um, the prophecies of the Medewin is that it's time to share what they know mm. with the world. Mm. And this has to do with procession and, you know, um, the new war, you know, the uh, the new age and, and, and the beginning of the new cycle, right? Mm. I, I assume you know what procession of the equinoxes is. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. So this is why this information was, was told by the natives. So one of the things they told us is that the Templars have a secret vault in Montana. Wow. Where they stored a bunch of stuff. And what's interesting is in our journals, they don't say exactly where they go, but they, they go west of Minnesota to a point where the land turns very dry. And it took them 14, four, two weeks to get there, over two weeks. 14. That's the Kensington area. Well, yes, and it dovetails with the runestone. I don't want to get into all the details, but <laughs> if you want me to, I will. Now... The, 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 what, what we know from the natives is that the secret vault is on the great, great Western Meridian. And on the great Western Meridian, there are things to this day, mm. like Tempe, Arizona, mm. to the south, um, the Mormon temple in, in Salt Lake City is on this meridian. That's not a coincidence. You go to, but, but the, these are not Viking stuff. These are Indian stuff, right? Well, no. Well, the, the Mormon temple is 18th century, right? Oh, the Mormon temple. The Mormon temple. Oh, yeah. yeah right. Tempe, Arizona, is a modern city, right? Okay. Okay. But you know, our a lot of our city planners and early surveyors and geographers, they were all Masons, right? Oh, so they did the same thing because, you know, the book I, I told you I was going to send you. Yeah. He argues in, in The Viking Serpent that they founded the cities according to geometry. Yes. So that's the same thing going on in America. Absolutely. 100%. Interesting. Yep. Okay. So they shared all the ceremonies and degrees of our Medewin brothers who share the blood of our ancestors. Yeah, because they intermingled with the Templars, they, right? They, they assimilated, they intermarried. Mm. In the journals that we had, they say that they married. I mean, it's that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Fantastic. Yeah. Mm, it is. I, I wonder how Pike and those people, you know, did they know because the tradition never died out? Yes. Well, it did not die out, and it was preserved. You know, the, the other thing is when you talk about Dan Brown, when something that I, too, have talked about for years is – there is a bloodline, if you will. And, and I'm not saying that they have some special magic powers, but, um, no, no. you know, I, I, I'm part of the bloodline. I've done my genealogy. I go back to Earl Henry Sinclair. And you follow that bloodline. Mm. They're supposed to be part of it, too. And, 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 and I say that because there's probably millions of people, if not at least 100,000, people that are part of this so-called bloodline, right? Mm. And what I say to these people when I give my lectures, I say, I hate to break it to you, but you're not special. 
Because <laughs> there's all kinds of us out there. It's the same thing here. Uh, I think half the population descends from Harold the Hare. <laughs> right, right. And and you know you want to you want to sit there and go, oh, I'm I'm part of Jesus's bloodline. Well, yeah, you and half the world, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, I or but whatever. Nevertheless, uh, there is often a like a priority bloodline. Yes, that's that must be lost, of course. Well, or, or not, or not. But but in any case, my point is this: is that. I believe that if there is a priestly line or kingly line or or a combination, whatever whatever that special line is, right? Mm. Um, that I believe was if there was such a thing was brought over here by the Templars and intentionally put into the natives mm. to protect it mm. and to bring it over here. This was the New Jerusalem. This is the the New Atlantis. This is the the new temple, right? And and the natives were worthy because they shared the same ideology. And in fact, um, I think we the this isn't the first contact that these traditions have had. Hmm. But in any case, there's no doubt who is in the know than the founding fathers knew, right? Yeah, I'm more convinced about those. But I'm I'm uh, amazed about this secret vault in Montana. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And in my book, I talk about the whole purpose um, of the, 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 I guess you would say what I call the crown jewel of the Louisiana Purchase was the secret vault that Thomas Jefferson did know about. They knew the location? Oh, yeah. Yep, they did. And and I know how they knew. Because, (laughs) well, we got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. But about Oak Island and the interesting stuff, you had some documents that showed that. Oh, we have documents. Well, it puts it puts the Templars all over Nova Scotia. Right. Did they set foot on, on Oak Island? I'm sure they did. Hmm. But based on the record that we have, that is not where they put any of the treasures. Hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, I, I think more than anything, like, for example, you know, the nine levels or 10, le- I mean, all that stuff is ridiculous. And I've been to Oak Island. I mean, I've, I've, I spent two days there. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I've looked at a couple of the stones and, you know, I had specific things that I was interested in, like the 90 foot stone. So I could look at the inscription and try to get a sense of the weathering and the age. And my own conclusion is there is no 90-foot stone. Mm. So I've come to the conclusion there is no 90-foot stone. That's just a myth. Um, but if there is, then let's let's see it, you know. Mm. The artifacts they find. Do you think they're the first guys to use a metal detector on those beaches? No, no, no. Of course. Of course. And, and, and don't you think that things just are a little bit too convenient that they – I mean, it's just nonsense. But anyway, here's the point. I know how this business works. I, I'm in this business. <laughs> mm. When it comes to Oak Island, honestly, I just um, part of my well, I, I bet, let's put it this way: I've been invited to appear on that show four different times, and I've respectfully declined. But you don't have to go on; you have your own show. Well, I, at the time, I wasn't doing my show, and people go on other people's shows, even if they have their own shows, all the time. That's true. That's true. That's cross promotion, and it's actually quite good. Mm, mm. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm in the television business, and, it, and, and, and it's all about money. They don't give a shit about truth, yeah. credibility, about honor, integrity, about truth. Yeah. And I just won't do it. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, but you know, the whole problem is because of television as a format. Uh, a book, no problem. There you can have long reasoning and you can right. gradually introduce. But they need like um, adrenaline kicks, right? They need, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, the b- big deals. That's the problem. Yeah, yep. yeah. Act out, go, act out going into commercial to keep people to, to stick around because people yeah. tend to want to change the channel unless you keep a hook out there. And, you know, there are a lot of things about television that I, I don't like, but at the end of the day, it's an amazing opportunity to get the content and the information that I think is important out there. And we've had good luck with that. Yep. And um, I think so far I've, I've come away reasonably un, unscathed reputation wise, but they're doing it for money. And it's, it's, it's you know, hmm. there's nothing, you know, profit's not a dirty word, but um you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror, I think. And exactly. I, I, yeah. Prostitution I, is a dirty word, not profit. That's the difference, right? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so that's that. That's that. But that's not... The, 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 you are talking about the old school Oak Island stuff. Yeah. The, there's, there's a whole new level to Oak Island now. Yep. First off, the swamp is the interesting spot because it's artificial. And they... Have you seen the latest episodes where no, scholars... I have, I have not. But again, I... I just don't trust what they're doing. You've got millions and millions and millions of dollars that that show generates. Yeah. And, you know, they bring in people that are going to tell them what they want to hear. And, mm. um, you know, you got the, but on the other hand, you have to. Feel like what about the human bones they found in the mines? Yeah. Well, let me, let me address that. The, the, there have been people living on the island, Europeans since, probably the late 1500s, certainly the early 1600s, okay? You had, mm. you had indigenous people that lived and died and were buried on the island. I'm not the least bit impressed that they found human bones. It doesn't tell you anything other than there, there were people there that, of course, there were. <laughs> yeah. No, um, but I don't think, I, I mean, you, again, you're talking about the old school story. The story has moved on from that. Is that right? uh, you know, that's, that's what the traditional lore has been. Right. The shaft, the stone, all that stuff. But you know, the island is filled with Masonic references, right? And well, I know that people have interpreted them to be Masonic references, um, you know, and the, the Nolan's Cross and all this stuff. Yeah, Nolan's um, Cross is uh, elevated by Peter Amundsen. It's not a cross. You know what it is? It's a constellation. No, it's, yeah, but yeah, but it's also a, the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. Yeah, right, right. Well, and they, he has found the boulders to prove it. This is just an example of, you, so, so there's really two things going on in the island. The Laginas are of the old school. They have reluctantly and gradually latched onto the Templar trace. <laughs> they started out with the notion that this is, you know, pirate treasure or Spanish, whatever, right? But they have yeah. been forced to kind of elevate that. And that's when they started to yeah, pitch well, Templars, Rosicrucians, whatever. Yeah. And different researchers. We don't, we don't need Oak Island to to further all of that. Well, what about the entries that others have found too about this party, this, these French Templars in the 1700s coming over, referring to Oak Island? Um, I don't know what they're talking about. I have no idea what they're talking about. You can see it in the, I think it was in this season, this year. I, I, I won't watch the show out of principle. I won't watch it. 
But, you know, one of the, the researchers, I, I'm not sure he's a Mason, but he has worked, he has uh, dived into the material and he found these references to these French um, Templars. Okay. I can give you more details, but I would have to look it up Yeah, if you refuse to watch the show. But they found the corrobor- very interesting diary entries that shows that the, the, they talked about one of the treasure places sounded so much like Oak Island. Well, but I can I can tell you. Well, and these were, it, were Templars, it, French Templars. Yeah. Well, there's 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 two rounds of treasures that were brought over that we know of. There's also treasures associated with the Cremona document. But other researchers are used to it too, like Zena Halpern. Are you familiar with her? Oh, yeah. I know Zena very well. <laughs> so here's the thing. Zena Halpern got all of her information from Don, Don Rue, oh. and they formed a partnership. And I was working with them, but I was not part of their partnership. They agreed that they wanted to write a book together. and and this, this is going back a few years. At one point, Zena decided when she got sick that she wasn't going to honor that agreement anymore. She wanted to get on TV and sell books. So she contacted the brothers on Oak Island. Hmm. Don gave her material to see if she would honor the, the agreement, and she did not. So hmm. I will tell you in her book, the first third of the book, it's fiction. And I can I can tell you why it's fiction if you want to know. But mm. the Cremona document story is real. Zena did do some good interpretation of material there. Mm. But then the Oak Island stuff is nonsense. I can tell you in the journals and in the CDOC, there is no connection. Mm. We have latitudes. We have geographic features, descriptions of, of, of bays, islands, everything. I mean, there's so much detail in here. We know exactly where we are. Mm. But anyway, what happened is... Don, his colleague with, with Spartan Enterprises, Bill Jackson, he is the guy that bought the Cremona document in 1971 in Rome from a family that was about to donate it to the Vatican. Oh, my God. He, he stopped it in time. He, he got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were going to donate it. Anyway, um, and then the first thing he did was in the document, it, and you'll read about it in my book, mm-hmm. they, they lose a ship off the southern coast of Newfoundland. And there's, there's details as to where the ship is. And they found it in 1971. Later, the first thing he did... The ship? You mean they found a ship? They found the ship. Wow. Yeah, and they have artifacts from the ship. Don and, and uh, Jackson and a couple of other guys. Oh, privately or is this known? Privately. Oh, okay. But then they, then they turn the, um, the wood part of the ship over to the Canadian authorities. And of course, it's never been heard of or seen again. But I've seen the artifacts. Right. And that told the guys that the document was true. And then he went looking for the rest of the stuff that's talked about in the story. And you'll read it. And they found it. Right. They found it on Hunter Mountain hmm. in the Catskill Mountains. What they found were scrolls. Those scrolls, some of the treasure that was found under the temple were, were documents. Hmm. First century scrolls that talked about other first century scrolls that had been hidden in the land of Antiora. Antiora is North America. Mm. And so six decades later, after they went under the temple, probably around 1110, somewhere around there, mm-hmm. 
1178, a Templar by the name of Sir Ralph de Sudderley took uh, six ships and 140 men and women, and they came over here, and their mission was to recover those scrolls. Wow. At the Temple of the Goddess. And they did. Yeah. They didn't get them all, but that's that's a detail in the story. But in any case, that is the story that Zena writes about, mm. and that part is true. And then, just like Earl Henry Sinclair would do 200 years later, not uh, just over 200 years later, DeSutterly's team, they were dropped off. 26 of them were dropped off by the ships. They lost one of the ships. Mm. So they were one to five ships. And so they dropped them off, and then the rest sailed back, right? This is in your book. This is in my book. Oh, okay. This is a different set of documents. This is 200 years before Earl Henry's stuff. Okay. And, and this you you talk about, uh, but you do obviously don't talk about the, the, the parts that Sina talks about because her information is tainted. Right. And that's what was kind of ironic is um, all this material and information Zena did not know. Mm. So, so after they found the tomb, there's a tomb on Hunter Mountain, mm. and I, wa- I don't want to give it all away because I want you to read it. Yep, yep. It's a great story. It's a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. But after Bill and Don and some of the other guys, they were all part of this Spartan group, right? Mm. They found the tomb in 1977, and there were a bunch of artifacts in there. And then some things happened to the artifacts, but what uh, uh, Bill Jackson wanted to do was write a book about this story. Mm. One of the guys that he interacted with at the time, because these guys all lived in New York, right, mm-hmm. um, was Barry Fell, a Harvard professor who wrote a book called America B.C. And it was a groundbreaking book. Well, Jackson went to went to Barry Fell shortly after he got the document to get help deciphering the Theban and the language so he could decipher it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Fell got so excited, he didn't want to give the document back to Jackson. <laughs> that wasn't a very good idea, right? Mm. <laughs> Let's just say that he got it back. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So anyway, he got the document back, but he also interacted with a lot of other academics. And he became so disillusioned by what assholes they were. <laughs> of course. He decided, yeah, well, we, you and I know all about yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I said, and I told Don, I said, welcome to my world, pal. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, what happened is when Zena died, she still had stuff that belonged to Don. She didn't live up to the agreement. They have a written agreement. I, I published it on my blog and I wrote an open letter and then I told I helped Don write a letter to But all of it went to the Oak Island people. Exactly. So we wrote letters to them saying, guys, this stuff belongs to Don. They knew this. They knew they knew about this story before Zena even gave it to them. They had heard of it, okay? Right. And actually, the Oak Island guys want to get a hold of these journalists when we were pitching a show. Yeah. It's a long story. But, but why? What does this have to do with Oak Island? Well, they wanted to use that material as content for their show, Oak Island. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a great story, and they just wanted to use it. But anyway, there's a lot in the Cremona document, The World Is Not Seen, that's never been published. Because Don and I made the decision we're not going to publish it, and Zena never saw it. Mm. She does. She never knew that it existed. Nobody knows about this stuff. Mm. In fact, I just got some more stuff from Don on this trip. 
and it, it's 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 part it's it's a long story. But see, when Jackson when he wrote, started to write the novel, when he decided to do that in the early '90s, he realized that he and he was a medical doctor. It's Doctor Bill Jackson. He was um, he diagnosed himself with arterial sclerosis, and he knew that he was dying. Mm. So what he did was he decided to sell the Cremona document. Mm. He sold it to the Vatican. Oh, wow. Have you ever heard of Archbishop Paul Marcinkus? Um, oh, yeah, this guy. He's famous. He's famous. Uh, he, he's been involved in some scandals. Oh, yeah. He's the one who murdered. He's involved in a bank. Oh my God! He's really a part of the dark brotherhood in in the Vatican. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yep, he is. He's the one that uh, I just say he did it. He was the only one that had a key to the secret room of the Pope, and uh, poisoned the Pope. Poisoned the Pope, Pope John uh, uh, Paul the uh, First. Uh, uh, uh. But anyway, so how is uh, this Paul involved? Paul Marcinkus is who. Bill Jackson sold the Cremona document to the original. Mm. However, however, Bill pulled a bunch of important documents out of it before, before he sold it. I hope he also kept full copies of everything. We got that. Okay. And the stuff all came out photographs that were taken in the 1970s of the maps, the pages, a ton of stuff. Mm. But, what happened was some of the key pieces of the document, like the treasure locations, like the like the first page that has the cipher phrase Elias Capitolina that you need to decipher the Theban. <laughs> he pulled that out. Good. So essentially he sold the, the, the Vatican a worthless document. Yeah. But what he did was with a lot of these important pages that he pulled out, he disseminated them to his buddies with the Spartan group. Okay. Right, right. So if he and and what Don says is, if the Vatican ever came back and said, "Hey, something's missing," because they theorized that this was not the only copy, and that maybe the Vatican had another copy. Yeah. That, they, yeah hang no, on. That's granted that the Jesuits or Opus Dei, I, I can't see anyone other bother actually <laughs> goes in and try to investigate it. But more more likely, they just store it away. You know, out of well. But but what it, what what they were worried about what Don or what Bill and and Don Don didn't know what was going on at the time. What Bill was worried about mm-hmm. is if these guys knew that he duped them, right? right. He got three hundred ninety four thousand dollars for the document in nineteen ninety four. Okay, mm. so so what his plan was, we think this is our speculation, is let's say Marcinkus or an agent with the church came back and said, "Hey, hey, asshole, where's?" Where's this page? Where's that map? Where's this? Mm. Well, I don't have it. But if you want it, it'll cost you another $10,000. <laughs> right. Well, maybe he was, he was, uh, you know, a smart aleck. And there was a chance because this guy, if he was involved, he is connected to the propaganda duo lodge, to the assassination groups, you know. Yep. Yeah, fascists, everything. So well, the bank. You got to remember something. That's the same world that Bill Jackson and yeah. Don dwell in. So it's not yeah. like they're not worried about these guys, right? No, but they know what they're capable of. But so. they know what they're capable of, yeah. and he was apparently uh, preparing himself in case they came back, which they never did. 
Um, but what happened is these documents were disseminated to his buddies. And what's happened over the years here, over the last 10, 15 years since I've been involved, it seems like every couple of years, Don gets an envelope from the estate of one of his friends that died that worked for the Spartan group, and it's missing pages, missing maps. One, some of the most important stuff came from Jackson's daughter, Melissa. Okay. There was an envelope that she found when she moved from Ireland to Scotland a couple of years ago, and there were some. There were two treasure maps in there with the with the first page that had the cipher phrase and 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 a letter written in 1996. It says, Melissa, don't let your mother get a hold of this. You know what she, how she feels about this, and she didn't like Bill's work with you know the, the archaeology stuff because she felt like it took him away from her mm. but the daughter understood it and appreciated it so he gave it to her and he said if anything ever happens to me make sure this gets to don rue i mm. have the letter i have it mm -hmm. and so anyway that showed up at don's door and he called me and this is this was after zena had published her book she hadn't died yet okay and i'm like oh my god she has no idea what she's missing but no. she screwed herself right yeah 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 yeah, so, karma. yeah, it's, you know, this whole thing with the Oak Island and, and Xena is really sad. But at the end of the day, all they're looking for is content that they can turn into yeah. making TV. And that's yeah. that's it. You know? But, but my, my Oak Island uh, approach, like I, I've said before, it has nothing to do with Laginas or, or even Sina Halpern. Okay. It has to do with uh, the, the reason I asked you about Robert Bruce and King James is the evidence that Peter Amundsen, who is a Mason, by the way, Norwegian Mason. Okay. But that's not important. Well, it is important because he's an organist. He's a church organism by, by profession. And those two things made him trained to understand codes. Yeah. Stegonography, which is the codes he's working with, is perfect for people with that kind of competence, especially the organ thing, because, you know, Bach and all that stuff. So yeah. he made his own documentaries and he met the Laginas, coincidentally, when they were making their documentary on the island. Yeah. The th he didn't know about them. He, he came to Oak Island. He got access independent of them because Fred Nolan liked him. All but right. They hooked up with the other guy. Blank, yeah. uh, Blankenship. Danny Blankenship. Blankenship. And so, yeah. but and Danny Blankenship, I know, I, I got to know him. He's, <laughs> I got along fine with him, but he was yeah, a Yeah, uh, Fred Nolan is a different type. Yeah. Blankenship is is the adventurer, you know, yeah. who came for money treasure. Uh, Nolan knew this was about historic stuff, and right. yeah. But anyway, so uh, he got access. Blankenship's partner liked Petter because he had been in Norway, blah, blah something like that. So he got access from both, uh, and then they said, "Yeah, well, we'll invite you on the show. You come on the show and you present your theory." I think he was the first theorician they presented and after that they realized hey we can milk this co further with having a new theorician every episode right so yeah. they had him on and he has found that long story short king james from his mother mary of scotland he gets inherits a certain artifacts better to say than treasures right uh, and they name it one of them is the Ark. Wow. But of course, like Graham Hancock says, which Ark? I mean, there were several Arks. Uh, yeah, the Ark of the Covenant. And can, I I, think... can I just jump in for a sec? Yeah. 
in the Cremona document, there's an ARC page. Right, right. There, and, and, and what if I told you that the secret of the ARC isn't where it is? But what it is? But how to make one. How to make one, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. One of the pages in the Cremona document tells you how to make one. Right, right. Well, you know what mana is and powdered gold, right? Monoatomic gold. Yes, yes, all that stuff. And and uh, I think, personally, it may be Atlantean technology. <laughs> Probably. But Probably. But anyway, so the point is, uh, he had this hot stuff, and he commissioned his half-brother, illegal half-brother, Francis Bacon, right. to set up, uh, we would call it a trustee fund or something, you know, a group of experts who could deal with this. And that became the Rosicrucian right. order, what eventually became. Yeah. That was a project, basically. The Invisible Ones. Yes, and it was inspired by a French group. What were they called again? Um, you know, but, but these were, John Dee was his predecessor, right? These were yeah. Intel guys, too. And they were directly involved in, because I found um, evidence that King uh, James was involved in the Scottish Templars. We don't know if it's... Great speculative mason or traditional masons but there is a link there between the templars and the first masons yes. and eventually becoming this rosicrucian group and then they find out for some weird reason they have to transfer the stuff out of england out of scotland actually where it was and they end up according to the map that he has deciphered in Oak Island. And there they set up... Oh, uh, and not in the money pit. Another guy, no, no, he no. says that's a decoy. Hey, hey no, let, let, let me just, let me just yep. back up for a sec. Can I tell you something? Yep, yep. You know these journals that I've been t reading to you? Mm-hmm. Francis Bacon is in here. Oh, wow, cool. Great stuff, man. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it actually, Francis Bacon's name appears three different times. Exactly, exactly. I, I would expect it. Yeah. But 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 again, the treasure that he was involved in mm -hmm. does not go to Oak Island. Okay, it goes inland. Inland, uh, but not far from Oak Island, right? No, no, no. <laughs> the first, they they buried it, and they ended up burying it nine different places. Yeah, but isn't one of them in Lunenburg County? No, no, okay. no. None of them are on Nova Scotia. They went in the St. Lawrence. The first one is buried in near Montreal. Okay. The first, and then the rest are west. But here's the thing, anyway, that they... Maybe, but, but that could be, maybe what you're talking about is a different treasure. But Bacon was intimately involved in the it, it may be the, the original Shakespearean documents, for one. Uh, different stuff, and... Here's the thing. They put down markers. One of them was this uh, tree of life that Fred Nolan thought was a cross. Now, here comes Petter. Who's, uh, and who is he? Is he the mason? Yeah, he's the Norwegian guy who okay. discovered this Shakespeare Bacon, right, right. Uh, King James uh, Templar. Free, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And he has all these discoveries he's made, and he doesn't, he, he's his own worst skeptic. He's not like, I'm sold on this, and now I'm going to sell books, and I'm going to convert the world. Okay. In fact, he hopes it's not true, because it will change, you know, he's sensitive to Jerusalem, the battle between Jews, Christians, and Muslims, because all this is implied by, you know, I'm just giving you I the, I, I the bubblegum version. I know exactly what you're talking about, and... 
And okay, I, so so what he discovers is that this is a tree of life. Nobody thought about that before. Nobody, th- but he he sees this from the codes, and then okay, let's find the boulders, and he finds them. He got them, finds wow, them. Wow, that's okay? cool. And it's I the like only it. these boulders are cut. All of them are half cut, so it's man uh, made, and they're round on one side and cut on the other side, and it's the only boulders in the whole fucking island. Okay, <laughs> that looks like this. All right, and he find them at exact spots where they're supposed to be. So he identifies East Sephiroth. Good, good. And according to in in the Shakespearean project where they hid much much of this stuff, I think it's in the Tempest where they talk about the location, and there they also talk about the swamp. So Patter has been insistent that it's in the swamp. And another sounds Jude, good. Sounds good. A Swedish Jude who started with Patter's work and worked it further who also has the same background. He's a musician and he's also an academic, actually, but he's uh, he's swearing in church, right? <laughs> he's not a mainstream academic. Yep. He has found that uh, it's a decoy, the whole uh, money pit thing. Yes, exactly. And exactly. he claims it's actually inland in Lunenburg, according to his deciphering's. But I don't trust his work as much because I haven't been able to verify and vet his work as much. But I do trust Pater's work because you can see it with your own own eyes. I'll send you the link to his stuff. Okay. Uh, It's four documentaries on Norwegian TV and it's one movie. And this stuff is just groundbreaking and it's so fun for people like you, not just because you're interested in mystery, but also your background, right? Your spiritual background, your academic background. Take a look at this. See what you think. It's so interesting. In fact, I I think you should have have an episode on an American on Earth. (laughs) Well, we got to get the show back first. We'll we'll see if if they renew us. Uh, History Channel is not going to renew us, so... All right, uh, not History Channel, uh, Travel Channel. Okay. And uh, because they're going 100% paranormal, but um, oh. I but maybe history would pick pick it up. I don't think so. They don't want anything to compete. I, I, look, they don't want anything competing with Oak Island. Yeah, but but but, but it's not competing. I mean, how is it? Co- oh, oh, you mean like for the same main target group? They can't have too much for the same yes. group. Yeah. Okay. No. No, it has nothing. I, look, I don't have any. I don't care what they're doing. I, I would focus on my own stuff. But mm. they would anything that they think is going to, uh, in any way, shape, or form, threaten the sacred cow, which is Oak Island. Mm. Um, that's that's the problem. So Oak Island is more popular now than Ancient Aliens. Yeah, mm. it's the number one show, and they're making millions of dollars. And and again, you have to understand, they don't care if it's real or not. Yeah, they could care less. Because it's all about money. Yep. Just just know that, okay? Mm. But um, as they don't find anything in the money pit, they are forced going back to the swamp all the time. They hate the swamp. At least Marty hates the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> but he managed to get Rick Lagina, who is the one who also who is most interested in the Knight Templars lead. Yeah. He managed to get him uh, enthusiastic for his theory. So they have, so of everyone who's involved in that show, Rick Lagina has, he, he's tried to defend this Bacon Shakespeare thing. Wonderful. So, you know, and they can't burn all their, you know, if something's there and it turns out to be this, <laughs> they would well, be stupid at to. The end of the, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like I said, I've spent. 13 uh, going on 14 years with the Cremona document 
spend four years with these journals. And what's interesting is these things corroborate each other. They mm. are consistent. Okay. Things like the sharing of rituals with the natives, the whole veneration of the goddess. And I mean, those esoteric things that, that weave in and out of these, they, they, they corroborate each other. Never have I seen this in other things, right? Mm. And uh, that are as consistent as these are. And those are some of the things that just just scream authenticity. But yeah, I, I, the, the level of detail that we have with two different treasures, a total of 16 that were placed, mm. well, uh, 17. Mm. Well, and I, you know, now, now it has to be, and these are all directly connected to the craft and to the Templars. But, but there have been Templars in the area of... of oh, no question, no question. Yeah. And did they set foot on, on Oak Island? Probably. Mm. Did they put any treasure there? Mm. Oak Island is a decoy site. Maybe it is, maybe it is, but there, I'm trying to get through to you that there is an aspect of the Oak Island mystery that's genuine and may turn out to be something worth worthwhile. But right. more likely it's post-Templar. Think uh, Bacon. Okay, got it. Because cause Bacon, for some reason, went there in the 1600s well, and he, sent his engineer there. So he may be the one who made... When, when did he go to Oak Island? Uh, in fact, he may be buried there. Well, I know some people think that that's a possibility, but I, I, there's no evidence for that. Seen, no, not yet. I've never seen any evidence for that. No, no, but I, I think these things will be uncovered. If there's something there, I think this show will get to the bottom of it because they're being very thorough. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, of course, we'll see. there is the problem well, of... Hey, listen, you... You drink that Oak Island Kool-Aid. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's I'm not. Kidding. I'm joking. I'm I'm just kidding around. Yeah, yeah. Because there's nothing I've seen in their show that would have got me convinced of anything. So now, when I'm watching their show, I'm looking for validation of Petter's approach. Right. And we and and the people who are on this wagon is a minority. Yeah. So more than likely, I think whatever if there was ever a treasure there. Well, first off, if there ever was a treasure there, it was recovered. And this this whole discussion about you know no, but this treasure has nothing to do with money. Yeah, not the well, bacon treasure. That's uh, to do with artifacts and yeah, yeah. some political yeah. stuff and cultural stuff, spiritual stuff, religious stuff. Well, so, let me let me just say this in the in the journals. Mm. They recovered the stuff. See, this is the other thing. Even if there was something on Oak Island, they got it. <laughs> they brought it back. And we have a treasure list. We know exactly what they got. Right. I can't share that, but I can tell you I know exactly what they got. But you talk about Templar treasure, right? Older treasure. Templar. It's mm. all Templar treasure. Mm. But Bacon Bacon was part of it. Yeah, he's clearly in the know. So the stuff that you're talking about, the esoteric stuff, that is part of the treasure, for sure, for sure. But it seems that King James commissioned him to do a specific task. So maybe this was a project of its own. Uh, might, might be something separate, yeah. Well, I wouldn't say separate because it's the same circles. But like an under project, a targeted project, because from what it sounds like now, they were going back and forth all the they time were, through all these were. centuries, yeah. right? It was all and probably more stuff went over than we were aware of. So uh, most stuff, in fact. Yes, there could certainly have been other things going on. I'm open. I'm open to that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. See, here's the thing. You know, I got to tell you something. Let's face it. We all, um, whether we realize it or not, have a tendency to sort of fall into our own 
fall in love with our own ideas, you know, because yeah. we work very hard. And obviously, if you've, you know, we've, I've, I've published books on the subject matter, and I think that I've got it. I like to think that I have it nailed down, but, but mm. you know, it, it's surprising. It happens to me all the time when um, people ch- will chime in with something. It's it's like, oh, my God, I just never considered that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, I, I love to have an exchange and, and, and hear something. Sometimes there's something sitting right in front of me. You just can't yeah. see it because you're so focused <laughs> on your own thing. So Very good point. Look, I'm here to learn, too. I uh, I certainly don't have all the answers I don't. I, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, and there are a lot, plenty of people that don't agree with me. And I said, "Look, I, I would like to. I would like to have you believe that I'm much more deep and complicated person, <laughs> yeah. but I'm I'm pretty straightforward." And and um, no, no, that's cool. That's and cool. Look, don't be afraid to call BS if it's something that, you know, <laughs> or, or or just say, "Hey, uh, brother, uh, let me let me t- let me give you a different perspective." Or uh, my understanding is this, and right. uh, I, I don't mind that at all. And um, you know, I, sure. I, I don't want to get out on a limb too far. I try not to do that, but if I do, try to bring me back. <laughs> hey, that's my uh, duty, man. <laughs> no worries, no worries. But we have a lot more to talk about, so I don't rush through it. I want to take the time and uh, yeah. to tell you the truth. I'm really enjoying just just talking to you. You're, you, you know, let's face it. Uh, you know, in everyday society, and even in with our friends that we interact with, there's so few people that we can talk talk with about this to the level that we're able. Yes. And so anyway, this is fun stuff. I enjoy this. I enjoy the interview. So, and I think I think when we when you're enjoying yourself, it, it's a better interview. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, but you know, don't say anything more about it. You're <laughs> you're revealing our modus operandi here. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, Scott, you know, I think we've beaten to death the horse that is Oak Island uh, for now. Okay, yeah. So I suggest we take another break. Okay, okay. Yep. Let's uh, refill our coffee and let's continue this. Let's try to wrap it up in the last part and go into the real stuff. There's, uh, I would say maybe the spiritual aspect of everything we've discussed and le- leave the historic aspects behind us. That sounds great. And finally, take on the message, the the philosophy, the ideology, the the point of all this stuff about treasures, documents, quests, chambers, and whatnot. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Great. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show. You can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Thanks.